Colossians 3 and 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And also Ephesians chapter 5, if you would. Also Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 19. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord and Lord Jesus Christ to God, Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son and Holy Spirit, we come to you now and we ask that you would illuminate our minds, our hearts, that you would give seeing to our eyes and hearing to our ears. That you, Lord, would help us to obey all that you have said for your glory. Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ. Let me pray. Amen. Please be seated, saints. <clears throat> well, again, good morning, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath. As we continue our short series on liturgy, uh, as you know, we are taking a short break from our exposition of the book or letter of Revelation. Uh, Pastor Isaiah is taking his break from his studies in Christology in the evening or in the afternoon, and we have spent some time to focus on liturgy. The last time that we, I, was able to minister to you, uh, we focused our attention on the call to worship. You may notice there are some some tweaks to our opening uh, of worship. It is not we who call you, but God who calls you from his word. Uh, we learned that worship is covenantal communion with God. We learned that there is a conversation that is taking place between us and God when we worship. God calls us to come and worship him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. A few things that are important to note as we move forward. Just as we are not passive in our worship to God, but that we are actively participating in worship, so also God is not passive in worship, but God is actively participating in this communion. It is, after all, a conversation. It is fellowship between us and God, or I should say God and us. God is not passively receiving worship. Rather, God is actively participating in fellowship and communion with his people. So that when we gather for worship, we, we must not view our worship as something that is uh, simply being offered to God and that God is sitting back and, and just simply receiving. But rather, there is covenantal communion taking place when we worship. Uh, God is calling us by his word. We come and offer to him worship. God extends grace and peace to us as we ask him for help. We sing to the one who has been merciful to us. There is a conversation going forth, going, taking place when we worship. That means that God is actively, praise be to God, participating in this communion that we offer this morning. And, and also the other point is, and God is also leading us in worship. 
God is leading us in worship. Uh, let me make this very clear. The elders are not the worship leaders. Someone leading in a song is not the worship leader. God is the worship leader. How do we know this? Look who is leading this conversation. God calls us to worship. We respond with an invocation. God extends grace and peace to us. We sing in response. God gives us his law. We confess our sins. God now speaks to us through his word, through the mouth of the preacher. We say all that God has said we will obey. God then comes, calls us to his table and we fellowship with him. God then dismisses us with a blessing. God is the worship leader. At every step of the way, God is the one who is the initiator. At every step of the way, all of the elements of our worship are being dictated and led by God. There is no such thing as a human worship leader. God is the worship leader. He tells us how to worship. God tells us when to worship. God tells us what he expects when we worship. Who else could rightly be called the worship leader but God himself? So then, worship is covenantal communion with God, wherein God calls his people to come and to ascribe to him all of the glory that is due to his name. Now today, with God's help, we will consider four points concerning singing in the local church. Singing. In the local church, four points. Number one, the natural religion or natural theology of singing. The natural religion or the natural theology of singing. Ephesians 5, uh, 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart. To the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Brothers and sisters, a question, and I usually like to ask you questions in these sermons. Do you like to sing? Some of you may say, yes, I love to sing. Uh, some of you may sing at all times. Some of you may be musically gifted to to play instruments and sing. Some of you sing with your families. You sing in your car. You sing whenever and wherever you get the opportunity to sing. Others, when I asked the question, do you like to sing? You may have immediately said, no, I don't like to sing. Or maybe you just don't like to sing in the presence of others who can hear you. Some who say they don't like to sing, though, interestingly enough, will find themselves randomly humming at times. Uh, those who say they don't like to sing will find themselves at times making music with their lips, tapping their toes, snapping their fingers, maybe nodding their head and swaying to songs that they hear either out there or in here. <laughs> the point is, making melody is something that we all do by nature. Even in our smallest, the smallest of our children, that we see a propensity in them towards song. 
we see in them a propensity in them toward melody, a propensity within them to, to dance. Our children clap at young ages, don't they? They sway at young ages. They even shake in response to song. Our daughter Selah is named Sheikh, uh, nicknamed Sheikh because her first words were Sheikh, yes. But at a very, very young age, she was prone to shake at any song that she would hear. Uh, therefore, we labor her shaky. That's a, you'll see, hear me yell her and shake, and she automatically she thinks that's her actual name. Singing, making melody, hearing music. It is actually pleasing for man, made in the image of God. We find pleasure in song. Song, singing, making melody, having uh, this response, it, it, it draws certain emotions out of us. Songs have the ability to draw out of us deep thought, joy, sadness, love, even rage. Singing often instructs the mind and heart, or is it off, is often instructed mind and heart with lyrical content. The melody can influence our emotions and our affections. It's, it's in every one of us. There is a natural propensity to song, a natural propensity to respond to song, and this is because we are made in the image of God. God has made us so. Our natural inclination, our natural tendency to song is a result again of man being made in the image of God. You have, you and I have been uniquely created, uniquely designed, shaped and fashioned to sing. It's what we do. Just as man was created with the, you remember, the sensus divinitas, the sense of the divine, man innately knows that he must offer worship to God. It's the, the purpose of his existence. You exist to worship God, to glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. And one of the expressions of your worship is song. Some of you think, I just sing because I like music. You, you don't just sing because you like music. You're not just making melody with your mouths because you happen to like it. It's not your preference. It's, what you, it's how you were made. This is one of the expressions of man's natural offerings of worship to God. Singing. You were made to sing to God. Man sings because he is uniquely created to sing. Again, it's not just what we like. It's why you were created. Uh, we'll return to this point later, but in Revelation chapter 5, we're given a glimpse of the glory of heaven. And there, what are the inhabitants of heaven doing? Revelation 5, 9, they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchased for God, with your blood, men from every tribe and tongue and nation. In heaven, in glory, the people of heaven, the, the inhabitants of heaven, they sing. They sing songs of victory. They sing songs of praise. Uh, John says, Then I looked and heard a voice of many angels around the throne, and the living creatures and elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, this saying is also singing with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Uh, the myriads and the myriads, the thousands and the thousands, are, are offering to God a song of praise. Uh, 
It's an eternal one. It's one that all of the inhabitants of heaven will offer to God for eternity, worship and song. We were made to worship God and to sing to him. In heaven, and for all those who are in Christ, this expression has been redeemed. I'll get to what I mean by that. One of the joys that you and I will partake in in heaven will be singing to God. Even if you say today, I don't like, I particularly don't like singing. You will love singing then. You will be expressing the very, one of the very reasons for your existence to sing to God and you will love it. Now, why don't we love singing now? Maybe even during our time of, of song here in, in worship. It is because man has deviated from the divine order because of our sin. Sin has not only polluted man's song, sin has polluted and suppressed man's desire to sing. We, we nowadays don't feel a, a need or desire to sing. There is for us a desire to sing. It's there, but it's suppressed. We push it down. And then when we do sing, we don't sing songs that are offering glory to God. We sing songs that offer glory to man. Man still sings. But his song is no longer solely offered to the one to whom he has been created to give song to God. Man now sings glory to all things except for God. In Genesis chapter 4, wicked Lamech. Uh, not Noah's father Lamech, but Lamech, who was at the seat of the serpent, he sung a boast of his violence and his wickedness that was, in his estimation, ten times more vile, ten times more wicked and corrupt than his father Cain. His song reveals that man has both been created with the propensity to sing, and that man's song has been corrupted by sin. All men sing. In the same way that all men, and I say men and women, in the same way that all men pray. Singing is not limited to the Christian. Just as prayer is not limited to the Christian. The pagan sailors in the book of Jonah, when they knew that they were in trouble on the sea, what did they do? Uh, they began to call out to their gods, each of them calling out to their gods for help. It is assumed that, that each of these sailors worshipped different pagan gods. And if you can imagine all these different sailors on this boat, as they are, are, are in trouble, uh, they begin to call out to their individual pagan gods. Now, what does this mean? This, this means, this is evidence that, that you don't need to be a Christian in order to pray. That all men pray. But who were they praying to? From Mesopotamia to Egypt, Persia, Babylon, Greece, Rome. Fallen men has prayed to their fallen or to their pagan gods. Just as fallen men has sung to pagan gods. Prayer and song are not unique to the believer. Before Moses receives the law from God, he leads the people in song after they cross the Red Sea. Exodus 15, 1, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. 
the horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. They sing. John Gill notes, the Israelites sang the song not because they were commanded to. God did not say, when you cross, you must sing, but simply according to the dictates of their own consciences, John Gill says. Meaning this, it was their natural response, the, the natural response for man to pray and sing when they are in distress, and also to pray and sing when they are delivered. Muslims pray. Mormons pray. Hindus pray. Buddhists pray. And they all sing too. The difference, of course, is who we are praying and singing to. Everyone sings. Everyone prays. That's how we were made. But when we sing, we are not just singing because it is a tradition. When we sing, we are not singing because we just prefer to sing. Also, when we sing, it is not optional. It's the way you were made. We sing because we were created to sing. Again, in Revelation, all the residents of glory sing songs to the glory of God. The telos for man, which we'll talk about at the end, is singing to God. To exalt him and to proclaim his majesty. We sing because we were created to sing. Point number two, we sing because we are commanded to sing. We sing because we are commanded to sing. Number two, the command and necessity of singing. The command and necessity of singing. Let's go to Colossians now, or just listen. Uh, three sixteen. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your heart to God. Brothers and sisters, we sing because we have been created to sing. Singing is in accordance with our nature. It's a part of our DNA as we are made in the image of God. But but that's not all. We sing because we are commanded to sing. When we gather for worship, one of the elements of our worship that we must offer to God is singing. Remember that, that worship is an act wherein we offer to God all that is due to him and also all that he has required of us. So when we worship, we're not just offering to God random things. We are offering to God that which he has commanded for us to offer to him. One of those things that God commands us to offer to him is song. God commands us to offer song to him. It's, it's this act of ascribing to God all of the glory, weightiness, worthiness that is due to him alone. So when we worship, when we are called to the presence of God, we are commanded to offer songs to God. Psalm 100, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth, serve the Lord with gladness. This is the command, come before him with joyful singing. We are entering his gates with thanksgiving and doing what? Singing to the Lord. It is the command from God that one of the elements of our worship must be singing. It's not just what you prefer. It's what you must do. We are acting in accord with both our nature, being made in the image of God, and his command from the one who has made us. It is necessary that we sing. We must sing. We cannot help if we are in Christ but sing, yes, but we are also commanded to sing. 
Give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 105. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Not just any song. When we gather together, can we just sing anything? No. We are commanded to sing songs joyfully to the one who created us. We are to direct our songs to our creator. When we sing, we are to sing songs that... Psalm 100 and verse, Psalm 105 verse 2. We are to speak of all of his wonders in our song. In our song, we are to give glory to his name. We've been created to sing. We are commanded to sing. It is necessary that we sing. And when we sing, we must sing songs that accurately tell of the wonders of God. Songs that, that truly give glory to his name. Our singing is therefore not cultural, it's not preferential, and it's not traditional. Singing, once again, is in accordance with our nature, in accordance with God's command. We believe that God orders our worship. And part of God's prescriptive commands for orderly worship is offering to him psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to him in our hearts. We are commanded with all wisdom to teach and to admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We are commanded to sing to God with thankfulness in our hearts. But also, we'll get to this in a moment, also singing to one another. When we sing, our mouths are pouring forth an expression of thankfulness and joy to God that is coming from our hearts. Our mouths are singing joyfully, thankfully. What is coming out of our mouths is rooted in the, the joy that is in our hearts. Thankfulness should come out of your mouth. Where is it coming from? Joy in your heart. Our mouths, it could be said, are a type of bucket that drops down to the heart. And when it draws, it pours forth thankfulness that is found from the joy within. When you sing, are you singing in a thankful manner? When you sing, is your song, the, the words that are, that are proceeding from your mouth, are they joyful or are they merely form? Are you just singing because that's what we're supposed to do right now? Uh, is your voice loudly singing or is your voice barely singing? There is a difference. One is, and for the person who says, but I don't like to sing, it doesn't matter what you like. For the person who says, but I don't like my voice, it doesn't matter what you like. I don't like the way I sound. It does not matter. God has commanded us, because God orders our worship, to sing in a certain manner. And it is to be rooted, yes in nature, yes in command, but also from joy. I sing because joy is within my heart. I sing because I am thankful for God's redeeming me. From the slave market of sin, I sing for joy. There are hundreds of references to singing in the scriptures, hundreds of them. There are 50 direct commands from God to sing. Sing praise to God. Sing praises. Sing praise to our king. Sing praises, Psalm 47, 6. A few weeks ago, we heard Psalm 96, 1. 
Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. We are commanded to sing. And not just sing. Not just have a form. Not just come. I, you know the, the ones who are just singing. There, there, there's a form involved in it. There, there, their eyes are, are glazed over. Their, their posture is careless. There is no joy. And then those who are singing with, with intensity, those who are singing with intentionality. I am singing. The words that are proceeding from my mouth are rooted in joy in my heart. There's a thankfulness coming out of my voice. Psalm or Romans 15, 11, Paul quotes Romans or Paul quotes the Old Testament. Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. Our singing is part of our offering of worship to God. You are worshiping God now as you listen. You are also worshiping God as you sing. And it is a part of, of true uh, spirit and truth offering to God. All that we do is worship when we gather. Not just a time of song. Uh, those from my my tradition, uh, you remember that, that worship was the slow song. Praise was the fast song. All that we do is worship. Pastor Isaiah, in a sermon that he preached two years ago, said, Our singing must not be contained or kept to ourselves even when we worship. We must not keep our mouths closed when it is time to sing praises to God. God commands us to sing, and we who live under his law must do so. And let me add to that, and do so with joy. And do so with joy. God commands it, but he's giving me a new heart so that I desire it. I want to sing to him. I desire to sing to him. For some, the command to sing is more of a joy. I, I, I long to sing. But it's not contingent on our preferences. I don't prefer it. It does not matter. You don't get to sit out. Of, of, of the offering of song just because you don't potentially prefer to sing. You don't get to sit out. We must also not be busy with other things during the time of offering song to God. But when it's time to sing, we don't say, well, that's my time to step out. When it's time to sing, that's, that's not when we get to say, let me go, let me step out and make a call. We're just singing after all. When we are singing, that's not our time to say, let me go get some coffee. Because the song doesn't matter after all. It's not for our time to go find a snack or, or to scroll on our phones or whatever activity takes away from offering worship to God. It's all worship. Song is worship. Listening is worship. Our response, there is a conversation happening now. And if we are, uh, if we are excusing ourselves from the conversation, then we are saying, excuse me, God, I don't really, I would prefer not to talk to you right now. I'll come back in a few moments. If we believe that worship is a covenantal conversation where God speaks to us, we respond. And there is this back and forth taking place. We don't have the prerogative, if we are in Christ, to step out. Unless it's an extreme emergency, right? We are commanded to worship him. And one of the elements of worship is song. And that must never be, not any part of our worship, 
must never be viewed as being unimportant. This, this is an unimportant portion of worship. I can step out here. God tells us how do we are to worship. God prescribes what kind of worship is acceptable and what kind of worship is unacceptable to him. Worship that is not offered in spirit and truth, worship that is not offered in faith, worship that is not from joy, it's not acceptable to God. What must we do? Oh, God, forgive us. Oh, God, help us. Refusing to sing. It's not a strike against the song. It's not a strike against the church. not a strike against the elders. It is a strike of disobedience against God. God commands that we sing and to do so in a certain manner. If we say no to that, it's not the church, the elders, anybody else but God that we are saying no to. Here's another thing that in my younger immature days I would do. Close my eyes. And not sing, but close my eyes and have personal, in, in, my, in my false immature state, have personal worship with God. I, I'm closing my eyes. Everyone else is singing, but I'm doing my own thing. It's me and God right now. I'm, I'm in my own sphere of, of worship, I think, between me and God. The congregation is singing, but I'm having private worship. We don't get... We don't have the right to do that. We don't have the right to unhitch, to dislodge ourselves from everyone else, to dislodge ourselves from the corporate nature of worship. We're singing. Yes, we, we are not only commanded to sing. Listen to this. We were commanded to sing together. It's when we sing, we are here. The body of Christ offering worship with one voice. Our voice, though they may harmonize, are our are to be sung, our voices are to be sung as one. The command to sing is a command aimed at the, the parts to sing as a whole. It's what we've mentioned over and over again. It's, it's us, when we get ready to worship, grabbing hands together and say, uh, to Zion we march. To Zion we will ascend. The body of Christ sings together. Paul commands the church concerning what they must do when they gather for worship and song. Listen to this. Speaking or singing to one another. Speaking or singing to who? Yes, to God and to one another. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We'll get to that maybe. Singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. There's a to one another and to the Lord aspect of our song. There is a corporate nature to offering songs of worship to God. They are intended to be sung together. You hear and say, I don't want to sing. I'm going to sing this love. I'm not even going to sing. Are, are you a part of this corporate body? Then you are required to make your voice heard so that it is a part of the body. Uh, you don't get to disengage again. Last week at the quarterly, now there was one saint that I heard on the side uh, going to Pastor Joannity and saying, Pastor Joe, did you hear the doxology today? Wasn't that great? 
And he was speaking about the, the, the amount of voices, the number of voices, the, the body of Christ, if you will, that had gathered there in SoCal, that had sung together a praise, a hymn of praise to our God. He says, wasn't that good? Do you know, saints, that there was a time in the church prior to the Reformation that singing was all but lost in the church. The congregation was not allowed to sing. And when singing took place, it was not by the congregation. It was sung by a collection of monks who were the professional singers. And it was not sung in the common, normal language of the day. It was sung in Latin. So that even the congregation, if they had wanted to, could not participate because they didn't know the language. There was no screen up there to say, here's what we're singing. We sing, you listen. You don't get to participate. They could observe, but not partake. Singing is a gift from God. Singing has been recovered by the church. We are one body. Washed in one blood, one baptism, one Lord and Savior. To him we offer one voice of praise. There are no voices that stand out. There, there's, there's no one as we sing together singing an ad lib on top of the chorus. We sing together. And, and why do we sing together? To stir one another up. To stir up our brothers and sisters to do what? To sing. I'm singing and I hear young Gabriel singing. Oh, that encouraged me. I'm singing and I hear uh, the deep baritone over here, Tony, singing. That encourages me. I, and what are we singing? It's not just that they're singing. It's what we're singing. Wonders of mercy. To God belong. Repeat his mercies in your song. Does that not encourage you when you hear your brothers and sisters? No. Wow, how beautiful do they sound? No, it is that they sing and it is what they sing that encourages me to continue to sing. I, I need to hear your voice sing, brothers and sisters. It stirs me to sing. We are singing to God, yes, and singing to one another about what? The goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy, the grace, the care, the comfort, the strength, and the wonder of our God. Does that not inspire you to continue to sing to God? We are instructing one another when we sing. We are helping one another as we sing as well. It's not only a part of our nature. It's not only a command. It's necessary. I need you to sing. I need to be instructed by you, admonished by you, and vice versa. We are commanded to sing to God alone because God alone is worthy of song. We offer to him one unified voice. And he is worthy of praise because he alone is God. That is reason enough to offer songs of worship to God. Apart even from the salvific work of God, if God had not done nothing, he is still worthy, at least in salvific manner, he's still worthy of praise. He is God alone. But the fact is that God has saved us. Therefore, we are commanded to offer, but it should be a delight for us to offer praise to God, worship to God. Psalm 33, sing for joy in the Lord. Listen to this. 
Oh, you righteous ones. Have you been made righteous in Christ? Then sing for joy. Are you no longer dead in sin and trespass? Then sing for joy. Are you no longer in darkness, but you are in light? Then sing for joy. Oh, never come and offer half-hearted song to God. Did he halfway save you? Did he just bring you into a, a, a more lit space that was just a little bit more bright, <laughs> brighter than the place of darkness that you came from? No, he's brought you into his marvelous light. He calls you into Zion. You are in his presence. Offer to him joy, joyful song. Sing with sincere hearts. Sing with faith. Sing with gratitude. Our songs should be filled with faith. Faith in what we are singing. And singing with one voice as we ascribe together glory and honor that is due to God alone. Number three. There is a didactic that is teaching. Teaching nature of singing. Didactic or teaching nature of singing. Let's do this. Ephesians 5. Uh, you may need to turn there on that one because you'll need to see some of the things I'm talking about. Ephesians 5.18. <clears throat> Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalm and hymn and spiritual song, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God for the things, always giving thanks for all the things in his name, things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Okay. Paul's charge for the Christians at Ephesus. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, meaning this is from God, is to sing hymns, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. But it comes after the exhortation not to be drunk with wine. Paul says, sing these kinds of songs. After he says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Why would Paul say this? After that, in Ephesus, pagan worship was common. During their pagan worship, it was also common for drunkenness to occur and for songs to be sung by the drunkard. In their drunken revelry, some of you know that life, in their drunken revelry, used to know that life. In their drunken revelry, uh, they would sing these 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 dirges, these songs in their drunkenness. Paul's exhortation to the churches: Don't sing those songs. Don't join their drunkenness. Don't join their revelry, drunken party. The songs that they sung were songs for the drunkard. Those who were filled with, with alcohol. When the debauchery had reached its height, they would sing these songs. Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, instructs the church that, that when you gather, you are to be filled in an altogether different way. That rather than being filled with wine that causes drunkenness, which results in the faculties of our mind uh, being restored, Resulting in a host of uncontrollable sins. Be filled with the Spirit. 
the spirit who has an opposite effect on the believer. When you are filled with the spirit, you are you are not out of control, but one of the fruits of the spirit is self-control. Rather than being drunk, which produces a false joy, we are filled with the spirit, which produces true joy. And, And therefore, the songs that you sing that are to be sung with joy are not a result of you being out of control or or you not knowing what you were saying. Rather, they are hymns and and spiritual songs and songs that come from the fact that you and I have now peace with God. It is uh, is the exact opposite of of, of what the drunkard does. How, we're talking about joy, how is the heart able to move? Pastor Isaiah and I were talking about this, so I'm, I'm hopefully going to uh, assist a little bit in his sermon. How is the heart able to move the vocal cord to sing songs of joy? I've been emphasizing joy because God emphasizes joy. Is joy self-manufactured? Uh Do you need to fake it until you make it? Is it self-produced and you just, even though it's not there, you need to pretend like you have it? Do we stir ourselves to joy? I I know I need to. Let me just force myself to smile and, and sing joyfully. Where is the source of this joyful melody? The source of the joyful melody is the Holy Spirit. The person of the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the church in Galatia, the fruit of the Spirit. What the Spirit does in the believer is this. He produces love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The source of joy is the Holy Spirit. If you have not the Holy Spirit, you have not joy. And all the other virtues. So it's no, it's not dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon you mustering up an inner joy that somehow shoots up to the surface. It is found, its source is the Holy Spirit. It's his work. But this joy is not solely, it's not an uninformed emotion either. It's not an uninformed affection. It's not, wow, he's so joyful, but he doesn't know why. Our joy is an informed joy. Do you ever say, I don't know, I just, I just feel good today. What, what is it? I don't know. I, I don't know. Are things well in your life? Things are well. It's a good day. Yeah. There are times when you do that, right? My wife, I love those days, uh, will be at home and kids are good. Yeah. There's reasons for it, though. It's, it's not the same way when you're a Christian. I just don't know. I've got joy. I, I, I don't know. It's just different. It's not that way. Your joy is an informed joy. You have knowledge about what causes your joy. Truth, illuminated by the Holy Spirit, informs your joy. The Holy Spirit informs our minds about the wonderful truth that God has now illuminated our minds to perceive, listen to this, perceive and know, and in knowing, give glory to God. Because we have regenerated hearts and minds. 
We, when we were sinners, we could proceed, but then we would distort what we know and suppress what we know and give glory to ourselves or another created thing rather than to God. But in Christ, now being filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit informs our mind, we perceive, and then we now rightly know, and the result is that we act. What do we do? We act in offering true worship to God. One of those elements is song. And it is a song sung with joy. Do you not read the hymns that we sing? The spiritual songs that we sing. And when you are reading what you know, saying amen to those things. And that the, the inflection comes out of the way that you sing that song. Because you, as you are singing, are affirming, yes, that is me. Yes, that is God. Yes, that is what he's done for me. Praise be to God. And it comes out of the way that you sing. The Holy Spirit does that. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. What, what's proceeding from here is coming from here. And it's coming from here because this has been made new. This that you are seeing and perceiving and knowing rightly has been changed. So it comes out in an altogether different way. Let, uh, the, the Apostle Paul explains to the Church of Colossae how... Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ, before he says how to sing, he says, let the word of Christ dwell, no, that's not what he says, right? Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. All of the song that we sing, the manner in which we sing it, is it hinges upon the word of Christ not just dwelling in you, richly dwelling in you. You are able to sing the, the, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. You are able to do so with joy emanating from your heart because it is first rooted and grounded upon the rich word of Christ that is within you. The robust word of Christ that is within you. We are commanded with all wisdom to admonish one another, to sing to one another. But we are not able to do these things, to, to with all wisdom, teach and admonish one another with song, if Christ's word is not richly within us. Amen. We are commanded to have the word of Christ within us richly. And when we are, when Christ's word is robustly, richly, richly within us, its use is that we wisely teach, urge, warn, advise one another as we sing. Our songs are not to be first emotions that then move our mind. But they are to be instructed minds that move our emotions. And we have been raised in cultures that do the reverse. The song sounds good and we feel it. What is it actually saying? And then we read the lyrics and go, whoa. I didn't know that all those things were actually being said in that song. 
one of the um, persons that, that uh, okay, I'm going to tell in Isaiah 2, that me and him both loved growing up was Jimi Hendrix. What an amazing guitar player, gifted to play left-handed in the most amazing way. But then you listen to the, to the lyrics of the song, and you say, whoa, Jimmy. Well, let's take that to the church. We've all come from traditions where it, what matters most is how we feel first. And what is conveyed means little to nothing. Think about Psalm 100. We might think that the psalmist is calling the people of God to uh, an uninformed emotion with the first verse. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. But the shout is rooted upon verse 3. Know that the Lord himself is God. The psalmist is calling us to a knowledge. Which is the reason for our shout. The psalmist says, it is he who has made you. The psalmist is not saying, just shout for nothing. In my former tradition, they would just shout. I don't know why I'm shouting. Why, why must I shout? You're calling me to shout. For what reason? The psalmist is saying, shout for joy. Why? Verse 3. Because, because you know the Lord. Here's what you know. He's made you. You didn't make yourself. He says, and know this, we, he has made us the sheep, or his people, we are the sheep now of his pasture, which means he is our shepherd, he's guiding us. Do you see why there's a reason then to shout? Because you know God, he made you, you didn't make yourself, and he is now your shepherd, and he will guide you. I think that's a reason to shout. I'll sing to that. The psalmist roots our inner joy on knowledge, because we know God. Because we understand that God has mercifully brought us into covenant communion with himself. We were once not a people, but he has made us his people. And he's a shepherd, and we are the sheep of his pasture. Well, therefore, enter his gates. With thanksgiving in your hearts, enter his courts with praise. Give thanks to his name, bless his name. Oh, those are reasons to sing. We must beware of songs that are intended to draw out only emotion... Deep emotion, but are theologically shallow. I've mentioned it before. And I don't mean to pick on the song because there are hundreds, if not thousands, just like it. Reckless love. You've heard that song before. The reckless love song describes God's love as being reckless. Some of you know the chorus, oh, the, the, the reckless love of God. Let's sit on this for a moment. Again, because we've done it before. Reckless means thoughtless. It means hasty. It means impulsive. Reckless means irresponsible. Let's keep going. Injudicious, without judgment. Mindless and misguided. Now, let's ask this question. Is that who God is? Is God misguided? Is God hasty? Is God irresponsible? Is God mindless? No. Now, someone may say, 
But that's not what they mean in the song. Uh, what they mean is that there's, there's nothing that would stop God from, from winning us and saving us. I totally get that. But for the sake of artistry and creativity, man is taking God's name in vain. For the sake of artistry and creativity. Man has creatively taken God's name in vain. Because it's duped a whole bunch of people to say, but that's not what they mean. That's what they said. But what is worthy of more honor? A creature seeking to be creative or the creator who is worthy of us speaking and singing about him appropriately. I would say God. If we go to the defense of the person who made the song, then we commit the same sin of taking God's name in vain. Making an excuse for someone instead of saying, hey, tighten that up. You can do better than that. Because God is worthy of praise, not you. But I like the song. (laughs) Isn't that evidence of our sin? Making excuses for sin. It's not that bad. We're talking about God. We must hold fast to God's word. How do we do that? We let the word of Christ richly dwell in us. So that this word, God's word, becomes the standard of all truth. And we don't make excuses for people who try to breach that standard. Instruct. We must be instructed by what we read, what we preach, and yes, even what we sing. It matters because God says it matters. So we sing hymns and we will soon, I think eventually we'll sing psalms. Because the word of Christ is richly found within. Our songs instruct our mind that instruct the heart. The heart feels what the mind is told. It is true. And from the depths, it proclaims glory to God alone. Let me say to you, saints, that's not rigid. Someone may say, gosh, that, that just seems to be so kind of structured and, 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 and maybe even to the outside world, cold. Uh, you know what uh, the outside, the non-reformed think of you, right? That you, are, you are called the chosen, the, the frozen chosen. That's who you are. Is that who you are? Do you, do you, do you sing? Do you, do you not sing with joy? Do you not have a, a, that's why they think you're frozen. Do you not have a true passion and desire to love and to glorify God? Do you not want the word of Christ to dwell in you, in your riches? Then you're not frozen. You are what they like to say. You're on fire. You're on fire for Christ. No, it's utilizing all of our redeemed faculties and truly rightly offering them to God. We've been given rational souls. Therefore, our worship should not be irrational. It should be rational. It should not be worship with no control because that's not fruit from the Spirit. Paul commands the church to teach and urge one another as we sing. And this is to be done with thankfulness and joy in our hearts. I hope that this, that, that in our second service, our, our singing is completely different than the first service. It was good in the first service. But that 
Second service, it's completely different. It's, it's completely louder. The, 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 there is a greater sense of joy. And let's finish with this. Let's go to Revelation real quick, and then we're done. Revelation chapter 5, and then and 7. Singing is the telos for the believer. Revelation 5 and 11. <clears throat> and they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain, and purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Verse 11, then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying or singing to him who sits on the throne to the land be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever and the four living creatures kept saying amen and the elders fell down and worshiped chapter 7 verse 1 after these things i looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cry aloud with a voice saying or singing salvation to our god who sits on the throne into the land. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying or singing amen, blessing, glory, wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Worship is why you've been made. Singing is why you've been made. And God commands you to sing. And you should long to sing. I need you to sing. You need me to sing. You're instructing me and I'm instructing you when we sing. Oh, and when we sing, let us sing the word of Christ that that richly dwells within us. Dear saints, we don't need to wait for this moment. To join them who are there now in their song of praise and glory and honor to God. We can sing now. We can join our voices with the saints of heaven now. Are we not in Zion? Are we not in the presence of God? Have we not entered into his gates? And will we not offer thanksgiving from our hearts to the only one who is worthy of praise and glory and honor? I say we should. I say we will. By the help of the Holy Spirit, we can. Let us pray.